Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry. Nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past. I'm talking about the history. I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they wanted to ask if baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball. And from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, the winner is where he's out. Yes, the is out. Look at, look at this. Flynn is out. And uh, David Mack. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. <laughs> Oh, yeah, from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR radio network. This is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. Today is Thursday, the 20, was it the 31st now? of May, one day away from June. A lot going on in the baseball world, getting ready to knock out another solid show. And this one goes out to all my listeners, everybody that's tuned in for the past couple weeks, or even if you're listening for the first time. You know, you want to, you know, you're, you're getting, a, getting a look, seeing what's going on with the show. Past ball show is pretty much all baseball all the time. I cover it, every aspect from the history of the game to everything going on now to your favorite team, to my favorite team, everything going on in baseball, we hit up on a pass ball show. And for the first time, I'm actually going to open up the phone lines. If So if you've been sitting there listening, if you've been listening in the last couple weeks, or even if you're listening for the first time and you want to get your voice heard, I'm going to throw out the number right now for probably the next 20, 25 minutes. Listen, I'm not going to go so crazy with it. I ain't going to give it out every five seconds you know, I'm going to get into my monologue or get into, you know, what's going on in the world of baseball, what's on my mind. But I also want to hear what's on yours. So for the first time on a past ball show, show number 30, I'm opening up the phone lines. And that number, if you want to get into the show, is 609-910-0687. It's 609-910-0687. That's the MTR call-in number. I'll get you right up here, figure out what's on your mind. 
you know, let you let let you talk a little baseball because that's what it's about now. As we get into the summer, Memorial Day weekend is really the first part of the season. You get to reflect, see where your team's at, see where everything's going right now, what teams are in it, what teams are not in it. And then we got on the Fourth of July weekend, and that's really when everything starts to really kick off. I mean, you know what teams are contenders by then. You know what teams aren't. You start getting close to the trading deadline. And as you get to the trading deadline, what teams are giving up players? What teams are looking to upgrade? And what is their needs? What are the guy? What are the team's needs? Do they need a shortstop? Do they need a relief pitcher? You know everybody could use a relief pitcher. But, you know, at that point, you know who, who's in it, who's not in it. What's going to be interesting this year with the new, you know, the new wild card, you're adding a wild card to each. You're going to have a lot more teams in it this year than last year. And you know, more teams are going to hold out a little more. Maybe the team that's 500 that thinks that they could get a little further with what they got may have given up you know, in years past. But they'll stick around thinking that they'll have a chance to do it you know, this year. And they may trade. Or at the very least, they may not be doing anything. And I think that's going to be pretty interesting. And, you know, if that, you know, if that happens, then you're going to find a lot more teams that are either going to stay put or may go out and maybe get that reliever, get that extra bat or something that they think they need because they're going to pursue that last wild card spot like they're shooting for a division title. And I, I think right now it's too early to really figure out what teams are in it, what teams aren't. And, you know, it, it, it's real interesting because there's, there's certainly overachieving teams and I put the Baltimore Orioles in that category. I put the New York Mets in that category. Teams that are over-exceeding expectations at this point. Now, going back to our predictions, and we all made our predictions at the beginning of the season, I don't think any of us had this either one of these teams competing for a playoff spot. But what happens if this stays the way it is? What happens if the Orioles stay eight games over 500? The Mets stay six games over 500. If these teams stick around for a little bit longer... You know, maybe something will happen. So the first call I'm going to take in here, we'll see what's going on. Welcome to the Pass Ball Show. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, it's John, and I'm calling from Middletown, New Jersey. Hey, what's going on, John? What do you got? Hey, um, we were on the show last week. Yeah, uh, yeah thanks remember? for coming on, brother. Uh, same old. I just uh, was listening to your show, and I'm highly interested in what you're talking about, the wild cards, and uh, I think that... In order for the wild, like, what's so interesting about it is how now the teams that want to get the shots, like last year, the player, the teams that did not get the shot are now able to hang around and get that shot. I mean, uh, what do you think? No, I agree with you, man. And that's actually just what I was saying, man. uh, Teams that are around the 500 mark may have cashed in their seasons last year. And now mm-hmm. what's going on this year is they they may think that they have a chance to get that second wild card. And depending on where the other teams are in the standings, they may make a push. They may make a trade to get somebody as opposed to just giving up somebody if they had given in the season already. Yeah, well, I mean, I was listening to MLB.com earlier, and they were talking about how the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago Cubs are very expendable as far as uh, they want to trade probably. They want to 
try and get rid of a lot of players because, one, nobody's performing. Two, they want to either move Stalin Castro or trade him. And three, Matt Gauz is also on the line. Now, a team like that just wants to rebuild. They're kind of a team that in order to – they want to go far. I mean, for crying out loud, they haven't been to the playoffs. Uh, I, well, I mean, haven't won the World Series or been to the World Series. And I, I can't remember the last time they went. 1945 was their last World Series appearance. Their last one in 1908. Oh, my Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was just telling you, 1945 was the last time the Cubs were in the World Series. Oh man, I mean that that's a long time. I I think that they, that's why they want to get rid of players. They want to, you know, try and rebuild. But at the same time, like you gotta, they have to really rethink the process and say, wait a minute, do we really want to get rid of Matt Garza? Do we really want to get rid of Stalin Castro? Those guys are. I think well, Garza has been outstanding for them. Besides his, you know, his year, his year last year was up and down, but this year he's been much better. But he's more trade bait, so I think that. Uh, I mean, anything's possible. So no, listen, uh, I think for I, my call, John. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, man. And just listen in to my, you know, my response. I think that uh, Stalin Castro is probably a player that they want to build around. He's only twenty-one, twenty-two years old. He really just had his first full season in the big leagues, and. You know, you want you want a guy like that to really build your team around. You go back to the Mets, let's say, like in 2003 when they had Jose Reyes. If they were deciding in 2004 that they wanted to start, you know, stocking up on prospects, they're not going to trade Jose Reyes in 2004. You know, a team like the Cubs are going to hold on to Starlin Castro right now and build their team around it. There's certainly other pieces there. I like Brian LaHare. I think Anthony Rizzo is going to be a, a very good first baseman. So they do have some pieces to build around. Now, they have, they have a couple pieces that they're also would probably be better off moving. And really, a guy that hasn't gotten a lot of attention is Ryan Dempster. Ryan Dempster could actually help a lot of teams. And if you're looking at really the package that it would take to get a Matt Garza off the open market right now, and you know you would understand why the Cubs would ask for a lot for it. But the Cubs, I think, can get two, three legitimate prospects, maybe not top of the ceiling for a Ryan Dempster, and both teams could probably win. I could see, you know, the New York Yankees going out there and trading for Ryan Dempster, maybe not giving up Betances and Benuelos, but giving up some decent prospects and then still being able to build for the future like they are right now. And the Cubs could get some respectable prospects. Listen, they're not gonna they're not gonna, you know, win the lottery with Ryan Dempster. They're looking to win the lottery with Matt Garza. And I think that's really what's interesting about it. Now you know, a guy like Starlin Castro, I really can't see them trade. But other guys that you know the Cubs would love to get rid of. I mean, they would they would they would send Carlos Marmol on a plane to whatever place it is and pay them to take Carlos Marmol off their hands. The guy, and, and if you've heard the show before, Carlos Marmol is the worst closer in the game by a mile. So I can't see why anybody would want to really spend anything on Carlos Marmol. I actually think somebody's going to pick him up when he gets designated for assignment, which is something that might happen soon. He's not the closer with the Cubs. And listen, the guy has been terrible for the past two years. He honestly reminds me of Guillermo Moda, a guy that may be good enough to be a seventh-inning guy on some teams some years, but when you increase his role, he gets worse. And I can't see anybody really wanting a Carlos Marmol. Another guy, Alfonso Soriano, who obviously has a lot of money tied up in, I'm sure Theo Epstein would like to move him. And if you know if he finds the right package, obviously he would have to give a lot of the money. He would have to pay a good amount of the remainder 
of Alfonso Soriano's contract to get a team to pick him up. But, you know, it's pretty interesting. I, I definitely see the Cubs as a seller. And obviously with Theo Epstein and everything he's trying to do, I don't think this season means anything for the Cubs. If you're a Cubs fan, I think if you're really looking for the Cubs to make a push to make the postseason, I think you're asking for too much. There's just so many issues with this team right now. It doesn't really have a nucleus. And when we talk about a nucleus, it's starting with a Starling Castro. It's starting with a Brian LaHare. Anthony Rizzo's not up with the team yet. You know, Darwin Barney's a decent player. You know, they, they like, they'd like to see Ian Stewart take a step up and become a bigger player. You know, they have Gars and they have Dempster right now, but really the best thing that they're going to be able to do is get them better prospects. I could, in a weird world, see the Cubs actually holding on to Garza. But that, I think that has a lot to do with what's going on with the other teams and what other teams are offering. I mean, if nobody's going to throw a killer package at you for Matt Garza, then you don't trade him. And there's been talks where the Cubs have actually been interested in possibly negotiating with Garza on an extension. And that, And, and if you've heard me before, I've said this, that's actually a good thing. It doesn't eliminate the fact that the Cubs could trade Garza. It may, over time, decrease the package that you could get. But extending him, and, and, and listen, I'm not looking for a six-year extension, you know, $100 million, But you extend him for a couple of years, that gives you a choice every year as far as weighing the packages out. And I think Theo Epstein would be very, would, would be very smart to hold on to him right now unless he gets blown out of the water. You hold on to him now. This season ends. 2012 ends. You got the off season. Maybe somebody picks up. A, you know. You know. You you have him extended, and you get him to a point where you could you you can make a trade in the off season. You can make a trade in next trading deadline. You can make a trade the end of 2013 if the package gets better. And listen, I mean, if he's extended for a year or two, that's that's more intriguing from a team because the team doesn't want to buy Matt Garza for two months and then lose him as a free agent. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, you know, wanted the Mets to trade Jose Reyes, and that was a similar thing. Who's going to give top-of-the-line prospects your blue chippers for a guy that's testing free agency regardless? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. There's no reason to do that. You, you, are you going to give the guy up and get anything back? Anything gets you nowhere. Blue chip prospects are the reason that teams trade valuable players. Because without the blue chip prospects, you're just giving the guy away. And if you want to just give players away, listen, there's been plenty of organizations that do that on a regular basis. And you know where they are? They're at the bottom of the division for decades. Decades. I'm not talking years. We're not talking about trading guys for nothing and setting yourself back for a year or two. We're talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates who haven't had a winning season since 1992. How about the Kansas City Royals outside of the Tony Pena season? They haven't, they haven't had a respectable team since they last won the World Series in 1985. So when you say let's move a player because he's valuable and get something for him, something doesn't get you crap. Something gets you nothing. Backs you up even longer. And sometimes you're better off holding on up onto a player for a year, even if they hit free agency, and watch your team improve and maybe make a decision of whether or not you want to keep them and build your team with 
the player. And a lot of teams don't do that. And what really bothers me, and I'm telling you, this really bothers me to no end, the fact that teams, once they consider themselves out of it for the season, they just want to sell off everybody. What does that do? When you give players away from nothing, what does that do? It sets you up for failure. Now, if you have a legitimate big-time player that's going to help another team, you're going to want top prospects back. And very often trades like that are made and they help both teams. But when teams get desperate and they don't want to pay the final two months of a contract, they'll settle for whatever a team wants to give. And the most opportunistic team when it comes to deals like this is the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees will wait until you're desperate. They'll wait until you say, listen, I just want to get this guy off my team. So they throw together their, you know, single lay players and, you know, retreads and guys that can't make it in the big leagues. And they put a package together and they say, here, this is what we'll give you. And once the other team says, okay, you've been had. And that's what teams have to stay away from. That bothers me to no end. Once again, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. Uh, reminding you that the call-in number is 609-910-0687. Once again, 609-910-0687. I'll take your calls right up until about 5.30 when I'll uh, break and then we'll come back. Um, things, things go right today. I'll have uh, former Cubs outfielder Derek May on at about 5.40. Uh, 6.10, we'll have WFAN and SNY host Mark Malusis joining us. At about 6.10 and at about 6.35, we'll have TV and radio personality Julie Alexandria joining us about 6.35. So a lot, lots going on, lots to talk about. MTR Radio Network, Passball Show. Listen, you see every, every game you go to now, every you know internet baseball radio station, every MLB.com, everything is pushing for fans to fill out. They're all-star ballots. And when it goes from a team level, I really don't like the way it's set up. Now, this is a good time of year where, you know, you go to a game, you get a nice ballot, you get to look at all the players, you get to pick out your all-star team, and obviously the fans have a say in who gets elected to the all-star game, the starters. Your position players, you know, if it's a year of a designated hitter, the AL gets to pick a DH, blah, blah, blah. But listen, this is the time of year it actually gets me upset. I don't like the way this thing is set up. Because look at each individual team. Look at MLB.com. You go to any MLB.com site for your favorite team, whatever it is, whether it's the Yankees, whether it's the Red Sox, whether you like the Mets, Phillies, Padres, Astros, Brewers, whatever your favorite team is. What is it saying at the top of the top of the website? You go to MLB.com, you go to Brewers.com, you go to Phillies.com. Vote our players in. What kind of crap is that? What kind of message is that saying? Yeah, because you're a fan of the Phillies. Go go vote for all of our players and get them on the All-Star team. If you're a Cardinals fan, vote for everybody that's on the St. Louis Cardinals and get them in the All-Star game. What happened to objectivity? What happened to voting in the best players? Because that's what has to happen. I actually don't mind if it's a superstar player. You know, a guy like Albert Pujols who gets votes because he's Albert Pujols. 
I have a hard time. I have a harder time with a guy like, let's say, the Phillies, who are telling you right now to vote for Ryan Howard, vote for Ryan Howard, and get him in the All Star game. The guy hasn't played a game yet this year. Who knows when he's going to play again? But make him an All Star. Philly fans, punch that ballot. Get Ryan Howard in. He's an All Star. How does that make any sense? Any objective baseball fan is going to put their team alliance, their team preference aside to vote for the best players in a game. And more people do that now than did before. When we had teams like the Cincinnati Reds of 1991, the Cardinals of 2007, after, you know, after teams that won World Series and they got big baseball markets, they stuffed the ballot boxes. They got all their guys up in the top three in the voting. But it, it's, it's not fair. And I'll make an example last year. Last year, the Mets had on their all-star ballot second baseman by the name of Brad Emus. The guy played 17 games, was designated for assignment, and was off the team. So you go to Mets.com, they say, vote for all our guys. They got all the guys on the ballot, and there's Brad Emus right there. Vote for Brad Emus. Stuff the ballot boxes. Get this guy elected in the All-Star game. And I'm telling you, I don't think anything's going to happen about this until you get some ridiculous player that either isn't on the team anymore or is totally injured and just not going to be around at all. Until until that happens, things are going to stay the same. And really, that... that really irritates me because there's no much there's, there's nothing worse there's nothing nothing worse than seeing players that go to the all-star game that don't belong and then you go back to what happened last year when you got a Derek Jeter that says yeah I just don't want to play and you have that happen a lot obviously it's more prevalent in football when we talk about the pro bowl in football and you know all people just deciding hey you know what I'm a little tired I'm not going to play so, yeah, I'm, I'm missing the game because I have a cold. And once that happens, I think, you know, that, that kind of takes the interest away from the baseball fan or the football fan because you go to see the best players. You go to see the players that you elected. A guy like Derek Jeter who got the votes, obviously the consensus of Major League Baseball fans wanted to see him play. And he ends up saying, nah, you know what, I just don't want to. I got a cold. And and listen, that's the other side of it, which ends up getting messed up because you, you, you really want to see fans vote in the best players. And there's debates every year. You could, you, could, you could go on and on and on every year about what players should have been selected as starters and end up going in as reserves. And actually, that, that's for a good debate every year, and I don't have a problem with that at all. I really don't. I have no issue with that. It doesn't bother me. You know, a guy like Albert Pujols makes it over a guy like Prince Fielder who's putting up better numbers. I understand it because the best players are going to be selected. Especially with the, you know, the expanded rosters and everything. More, more often than not, players that belong in the All-Star game end up playing, even if they're reserves. A guy like Asdrubal Cabrera ends up starting because Jeter doesn't go. May make fans think for this year, who's the better shortstop? Well, listen, Jeter's hitting the ball fabulous right now. But the fan may say, hey, you know, why am I going to vote for Derek Jeter when he didn't play last year? 
So they'll go and maybe they'll they'll vote for Asdrubal Cabrera, who's a guy who's more deserving. He's really one of the he's one of the perennial you know better shortstops in a game. He's certainly a premier player. Get him in there. And you know this is the, you know things like this kind of just they just bother me because you know you got every team all thirty teams encouraging fans to stuff the ballot boxes and they may not say vote you know vote fifty you know vote twenty five times from twenty five websites and emails they're not telling you to cheat but what they're encouraging you to do is vote for the players on your team and some players should not be voted for. That San Diego Padres fan, because they love the Padres so much, are they going to vote for Orlando Hudson, who's not even on the team right now, who plays for the Chicago White Sox, but he's the second baseman on the on the San Diego Padres, you know, All Star ballot. Plenty of ballots have been printed that says Orlando Hudson, San Diego Padres. So if you're a San Diego Padre fan, are you going to go out of your way to vote? For the players that wear your uniforms. But I've said all along, the majority of real baseball fans vote for the best players in the game. And I've done it for years. You know, listen, as a Met fan, I may may have, you know, voted a couple more times for Jose Reyes in a year that I felt like he should have made it. You know, I may vote extra heavy for David Wright. But the rest of the positions, listen, I'm not putting Ike Davis in the All-Star game because I'm a Mets fan. Ike Davis should be nowhere near an All-Star game right now. And I just don't think it sends the right message when each team is saying, hey, vote for our guys. Listen, Ike Davis, he may he may turn out to be a star in this game, but he can't hit his way out of his own shoes right now. He does not belong on an All-Star team. And I really have a hard time with that because – you know, every team, and there's no team that's really left out of it. There really isn't. There's no team that's excluded from this. Every team on MLB.com is encouraging their fans to vote for your favorite team's players. Now, listen, they're not making you do it. They're not, they're not clicking it for you. But they're saying, hey, here's our eight guys. Here's the guys that are on the ballot. Vote for your favorite team's players. And I don't think that's good at all. You'll have a situation like 1991 where the Cincinnati Reds are just about ready to go to the All-Star game together, one through eight in their lineup. And teams like the Cardinals, whose fans really come around once they win the World Series. And it may, it may very well come up this year. You know, Skip Schumacher might be second or third in the NL among second basemen. Because he's Skip Schumacher and he plays for the Cardinals. And Cardinal fans are stuffing the ballot boxes. I mean, if I had to do an all-star team right now, you know, I would have to think about it for a couple minutes. But you know what? My my all-star team would not consist of players from any one team. And it, it seldomly does. But if you ask MLB.com and if you ask all the individual teams and their websites, they are promoting this. They want all their guys starting one through eight in the All-Star game. And it just doesn't work that way. It absolutely doesn't. Listen, I'm going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Um, Lots to go over here. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Talk to you in a little bit.
Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. Uh, we're going to open up the phone lines hopefully next week. Uh, I'm going to cut off the phone for now. But um, I'm going to try to get used to doing this because I do want to get your opinion as a baseball fan. I do want to get it in. And, you know, I thank John from Middletown for calling in. We talked a little bit about, you know, the Chicago Cubs and how, you know, they are going to be a seller when it comes to this season and the off season and stuff like that. And, you know, there's no question I see it that way. Um, one thing I wrote about on a blog, and you could check it out, com, Bases Empty Blog. Uh, I write something every day that you could check out, whether you like it or not. You could comment on it. You could get your own opinion in there. We could, you know, just see how everything goes. Let me know what you think. But I talked the other day, and I actually am interested in this because I got some negative feedback on it. I made a case the other day that there's an issue with the New York Mets shortstop position. The Mets obviously let Jose Reyes walk. He signs with the Miami Marlins, whether you agree or disagree that he should have left or the Mets should have made a comparable offer. The bottom line is he is in Miami. He took a deal. He's out there. He's over sitting on the beach. He's there with Ozzie Guillen and Hanley Ramirez, and they're all loving it. But Jose Reyes leaving left the Mets with a search for their new shortstop. Now, the good thing the Mets did is they worked, you know, Ruben Tejada in over the last couple of years. He's a natural shortstop. The guy has gotten a good chance over the last couple of years to play in the major leagues. And now it's his time. Now, what happens? I know it's freakish. It happens sometimes. But he ends up having an injury. He's on the disabled list. He may be back by this weekend or early next week. But the bottom line is he's on the disabled list. His backup, the guy that the Mets signed, hoping for a little more offense because obviously he is not a good defensive player, and I'm talking about Ronnie Cedeno, is on the disabled list for the second time this season. Now, if Tejada and Cedeno are not available to play shortstop, that must mean it's Justin Turner's time to play. And guess where Justin Turner is right now? On the disabled list. Are you getting my point a little bit? Is there a such thing as the Jose Reyes curse? Here's what fans had to say for years, the last couple of years, about Jose Reyes. The guy can't stay healthy. He's always hurt. How can we count on this guy to be a star player if he's always hurt? These people are pretty quiet right now. Why? What's going on with the Mets shortstop position right now? Yes, Ruben Tejada may be back soon, but he's hurt. Ronnie Cedeno is hurt. Justin Turner is hurt. The Mets 
with Omar Quintanilla around their fourth string shortstop this year. What makes it any different from having Jose Reyes if he's hurt all the time like these fans think he is? He obviously has a higher upside than any one of the previous three. And they all do absolutely nothing for you when they're sitting on a bench injured. It doesn't make any sense to me. But listen, we could debate it all day about why, you know, the Mets didn't sign Jose Reyes. I'm over it now. But I I do think that you cannot speak out of both sides of your mouth. If you complained about Jose Reyes being hurt, you you should be complaining about Ruben Tejada and Ronnie Cedeno and Justin Turner all being hurt. Yes, Major League Baseball players get hurt. It happens. And I've had some very good debates with some people about this. And some good points were made. Very good points. Obviously, the fact that Jose Reyes is getting paid $106 million over six years, and you've got three players that are making more than a league minimum, in Ronnie Cedeno's case, $1.3 million to do the same thing that you would be doing if Jose Reyes was hurt. Now you can make the comparison. You could say, what is Jose Reyes doing now? And right now he is not hurt. But listen, that's a whole different discussion. It's a whole different conversation you could have about whether Jose Reyes should be with the Mets or not. My point is you can't look the other way when the Mets have three injured shortstops now When last year, when Jose Reyes was missing a couple weeks here and there with a hamstring injury, the Mets were missing one shortstop. Is there a curse involved? Listen, I'm a little silly. Maybe I'm going crazy about this. I really don't know. But before I go any further, we're going to welcome in Derek May. Derek, you there, buddy? Yes. Hey, John Pialli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yeah, no problem. Hey, no problem, man. Uh, Listen... Kind of went over your career a little bit. Yeah, you know, you spent most of the time playing with the Cubs. Came up in 1990. Am I correct? That's correct. Now, that, the year right before was uh, 1989. When the Cubs made the playoffs. Were there any special expectations going into the 1990 season, or you know, as you were getting ready to make your major league debut, was there anything going along the lines of expecting this team to be a perennial winner based off of what happened in 1989? Yeah, I think. I think um... You know, definitely we had expectations in the 90s of, to, to duplicate what we did in 89. But, you know, a lot of things happened. I believe some injuries and a lot of other things and just didn't work out that way. And, you know, I just, it was just, you know, like every team that we have had expectations. But, you know, injuries and, and other things happened. So, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, as you as you're going through, you got a chance to play a little bit in the uh, you know the early part of the '90s. Um, was there was there a time that you really felt that you were becoming, you know, a legitimate major league player, an everyday type of player? What, was there a certain time that that kind of came to you, or did you just kind of go with it the entire time? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know after my '93 season, you know, I hit 295 and drove in '77. And, uh, you know, in 94, I was expecting to, to, you know, exceed those numbers. But, you know, unfortunately what happened was that we had to strike. And that was one of the toughest things as for, 
for for an emerging player to try to deal with because you know with the strike it's you know it's you know, your numbers were what they were at the end of the year and you couldn't really do anything about them you know because we got cut short in, in August so it was that's tough that was tough uh, you know to, to deal with and and you know and it's it was especially tough for a young you know, emerging player uh, looking to, to make an impact you know, in the big leagues. This is John Pielli. I'm here with Derek May, former outfielder for the Chicago Cubs, played for a couple different teams. Let's go back to the 1993 season, which was, you know, like you mentioned, was probably your best major league year. Um, what kind of what kind of hitter did you see yourself? More of an average guy? Did you did you feel you had some sneaky power? What was your really your your best attributes as a player, especially towards 1993 when you had your best year? Uh, just my ability to drive and run. I was I was actually at the time. Yeah, I was actually at the time, uh, and I actually got hurt at the end of of August. At the end of August, and uh, I was leading the team in in RBIs, and I actually just. You know, blew my hamstring out on the first of August, but oh, man. my ability to drive in runs. You know, I was you know, among the top, you know, RBI, you know, guys as far as hitting them with runners in scoring position, and that's what I took pride in. Not necessarily hitting a home run, but driving in the runs and, and driving in the big runs when they needed to. Yeah, now, now you were drafted in the first round of the 1986 draft. What was your feeling coming out of the draft? Were you, you know, were you expecting to, you know, in a couple of years, become a legitimate player, or was this something that you felt like you really, you know, you had a scrap and claw to make a major league roster? Uh, no, I think it. Uh, you know, when I came, I came out of high school. I was seventeen years old. I had, you know, my expectations. I, you know, it was kind of. You know, I had no idea what you know being a, a first round it meant at that time I knew that you know it was pretty a, a pretty nice honor but you know I you know when I got in I I thought that you know I I wouldn't get an opportunity you know when I saw the players you know in front of me I thought I would never get an opportunity that's the way I thought about it you know and I remember looking out and I said you know what I said, there's no way I'm going to be you make it to the big leagues of these guys and I, <laughs> There was guys like Rafael Palmero and and they had uh you know, a guy Darren Jackson and he played for a number of years and Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith and you know, I remember looking out there and, and my expectation you know, for me I didn't think that you know, I didn't understand, you know, the whole first round pick thing, you know, until I got older, but I, you know, looking looking back, I never took anything for granted, you know, from that standpoint. And what I did was, I always looked at it where I had an opportunity, and I tried to make the most of my opportunity until, you know, I gave myself five years. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's the way I looked at it. No, definitely, definitely good points, man. Once again, John Piel, I'm here with former Cubs outfielder Derek May. Now, you made a good point talking about, you know, how. You know, you came up right after Jerome Walton, who just won the Rookie of the Year in 1989, and Dwight Smith, who had a big impact on you know that Chicago Cubs team that won the division. 
did did your your rise or your feelings as far as your path to making the major leagues did did anything anything take a hit emotionally for you once you saw saw those guys jump in there and secure spots right away in 1989 uh, i think i think uh, it, it did um especially when we we you know we had those guys, and they were one and two look at the year. And you know, we had you know a number of guys that who could who you know they were pretty good players at that time. And yeah, it, it, it took a hit, but at the same time, you know, I kind of knew that I wasn't only playing for the Cubs; I was playing for you know the people. You know, to, at the time, it was like twenty. Forgot how many different teams there was at that time. Yeah, with all the expansion, twenty six or twenty five <laughs> other teams, and I was also, you know, I also knew that, so it did. Uh, but at the same time, I, you know, I couldn't. There was only certain things I could control, and when I was playing. No, that's awesome, man, and that's definitely a good way to look at it because you know you're not really playing for your own team, especially when there may may or may not be a spot available. You're playing for every other team. So you know every team's got scouts at games and stuff like that. You know you hit you hit a couple home runs. You drive in some runs. You know coming up you know in the second half of a game or something like hey, you know maybe this guy could play every day for us. You know. Yeah, that's right. Hey, listen as as you're moving as you're moving on and you mentioned about the strike shortened season of 1994, which you were coming off another pretty good season before the strike hit. Um, the Cub, you end up leaving as a free agent. You signed with the Milwaukee Brewers. Tell tell us a little bit about the transition for playing for a different organization, and what was your feelings going into playing for the Brewers? Um, you know, going in, uh, you know, at the beginning, I was a little, I was a little upset because that was the first time actually I was wasn't uh, I wasn't a Cub anymore, and it was you know it was tough because. I thought I played well, uh, but at that time too, it was, and it's hard to understand for a young player. For me, at that time, it was you know we had new new manager, new general manager. We just had so much turnover that you know they decided to go in another direction, and it's hard. It was hard at the beginning to understand that, but. Yeah, I understand it now. <laughs> I'm a little, you know, get a little older and, yeah. and stuff like that. But you know, going, I think, you know, at that time I was given a choice between Minnesota and Milwaukee, and I decided I wanted to go with Milwaukee. One is because I grew up there. And, you know, I was, I think, ever since my dad played there, and you know, just there was a lot of history for me, and I wanted to go back there to County Stadium. And play there, and play there, but and uh, and it was, it was nice, um, and and I didn't really get off to the best start that I would have liked, uh, especially changing legs, legs, and and just you know, it's a whole like I always talk about comfort level. Just uh, you had to take your family and move your family out there and all this stuff, but it, you know, it ended up actually being pretty nice. Uh, Nice looking back because of the players that were on that team, and that team had to put some pretty good players that you know I got to know, and you know they're pretty good, really good teammates, and you know really good friends. So it was nice. It was actually probably more of a it was meant to happen for me than you know probably as far as 
you know, looking back now, like the, the guy that I played with is are now coaches and managers and, you know, <laughs> in the big leagues. So, so those guys are pretty good players. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, listen, once again, it's John Pielli, Passball Show. I'm here with former Cubs outfielder Derek May. Um, tell us a little bit about because, you know, obviously I, I never made the, made, made the major leagues. What what is it like to play at Wrigley Field with the history and everything? And how does it feel to actually be out there with the Ivy and everything going on with Wrigley Field? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when you first get there, it's it's all that, you know, you just kind of, it's just trying to take it. It's almost overwhelming uh, as far as the player because it's, the first thing you notice is that, you know, when I, when I got caught up, it was just, all green. It's just so green that you've never seen that before. But you know, and plus the fans and and all that other stuff. But it was just like it was uh, it was just a, a feeling that you know it's almost a I don't know how to explain it, but it's an anxious feeling. It's a, all kind of emotions that go through it, and and actually being on the field and playing there and WGN and you know all yeah. that stuff. So it's a uh, it's a yeah, it's a. I don't. I don't know what this. It's a, there's a lot of different emotions that go through, and a lot of different feelings, and it's just they're all good. Yeah, I always like to ask this question because I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, you know, as a, you move towards the end of your career, you get to ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. Was there a point that you sensed that you were getting near the end, or was it was it a matter of you were just going to keep playing until they took you out of there? Um. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was. I mean, uh, as a player, you always play, you know, you want to play until they take the uniform off you, you know, and you don't sense it. I mean, I was I was 27. I don't know how old I was, like 20. I don't forget how old I was, but I wasn't that old in 97, 98, yeah. 99. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, you just try to, you know, make team and do what you do and, and see how long it lasts, you know. And you know that's the one thing that you know it it just happens. And you know sometimes you you've been playing a while and it actually works against you because you kind of place yourself out of the market. And, and that's the business of the game. So there's not really much you can do. And of course I went to Japan and played a few more few more years after that. So so it's pretty good. Yeah. So after you were done playing, did you did you stick around? Did you play more minor league seasons after '99, or were you were you finished at uh, after your Orioles stint? After the Orioles, I went to uh, basically I came back and I played uh, about half the year <clears throat> half the year with the Rochester team, and then uh, the Japanese <clears throat> team in, in team in Japan, Chiba Loco Marines. They actually signed me for the 2001 season, and I played in 2001, 2002, 2003 in Japan, and after that, I I was done playing. And I'm thinking about playing in Japan. You know, I think of you know I think of the movie Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like to play in Japan, and you know, it, are are you players that come from the United States treated that much differently as what maybe would be portrayed in a movie? I know. I mean, that's the best, that's the funny thing is they say the first thing you should do when you go over there is rent Mr. Baseball. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, uh, 
It was pretty close. I mean, it was, you know, some, some of the things were, you know, obviously Hollywood, but um, it is. It, it, it can be, uh, it can almost be pretty rock star-ish if you, if you play him well. Um, if you're not, uh, it could be pretty miserable. <laughs> you know, they got, they got uh, a lot of media and they can really make it bad for you if you're, it's uh, not doing well, but for the most part, um, it's it's a really nice place and it's a really nice culture for baseball, for everything you know in general as far as you know family and education and all that stuff. And it's just a great place to play. You know, a lot of enthusiasm for the game, and and they're, they're very uh, very excited, excitable fans, and they just love. They love, love baseball and they love, you know, watching the game. No, it definitely, it sounds like a different experience, you know, and I, and I think, you know, like you hear about a lot of stories about players that go over, over there and, you know, for whatever reason, can't get used to the time differential and stuff and don't like it. But then there's players, you know, like you seem to be saying that you went out there and you, you actually enjoyed playing out there. Yeah. I mean, I think you gotta, you gotta have the right mindset. right? I think that, you know, if you go there with expectations, you, you know, then you gotta, you know, most of the time if you put expectations on things, you, you usually don't, they don't live up to them anyway, but okay. you just try not to have any expectations and go out there and, and take things for what they are and, you know, just try to play and not let, you know, you know, I guess, you know, don't try to worry about other things you know, that you can't control. And that's the whole thing is you have to be in the proper proper mental state, mental, you know, I think maturity level too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree with everything you're saying, man. Now you you're of course your your father was Dave, Dave May, of course played in the major leagues also. Uh what was it like growing up with your father being a major leaguer? Did that did that inspire you to want to make sure you followed in his footsteps? Or, or you know uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, at the time, you, you're not even thinking about that. You're just watching your dad and and trying to do what he does, just like any other kid, yeah. you know. If, you, if your dad's, you know, a carpenter or whatever, he, you, know, you just try to do what he's doing so you can be around him, you know. And I think that that's kind of the way it was. And then... You know, you don't really understand until you start getting a little older and they start understanding, you know, well, you better play baseball, you know, and they, they start, you know, kind of putting that on you. And it's, I mean, it, it was a little bit, uh, and before, I mean, I wasn't, I'm going to tell you, I was, when I was nine, ten, I wasn't very good. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't think I was, was anyway, I. but, you know, there was always this expectation that I would be because, of the fact that, you know, my dad was, was a major leaguer, but, you know, like other things, you, you kind of work at it and get better at it and get older and, and things work out, you know. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and I find it funny because, like, you know, like you, you figure, like, you know, growing up with your dad being a major league player, I, I, I could see how the expectations would be a lot for, you know, somebody like you. Hey, you know, his dad's in the major leagues. He's got to be the best one on your team. Did you ever feel like a little too much pressure at points to, uh, to you know, perform to the level of your dad 
when it came to playing in like you know younger teams and youth teams and stuff like that? Um, I, I I didn't really. I mean, I just tried. I tried to tried to be you know whoever I was. You know, at that time. I mean, I think you know. I would almost ask my brother that question because he had he had the same name as my dad. <laughs> you know, so yeah. he had a, he probably had it tougher uh, than I did. You know, but you know, it's was, it was, it wasn't. I never tried to live up to it. You know, I just tried to do the best I could and get get as you know as good as I could and and you know let let everything fall with me. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely interesting. So now, you, you you have any kids yourself? Yeah, I do. I got uh, three boys, and I got uh, my oldest is going to he's going to Villanova to play baseball scholarship. Yeah, I'm sure he. <laughs> He has no expectations, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's one of the things I say: don't try to, you know, just just try to be yourself. Hey, you there's, a, there's only there's only a couple families that have had three generations in a game, so be you know, it might be something special, man. It'd be something yeah. to shoot for. <laughs> yeah. So I know I have my medal son, and uh, they already, I mean, he, he's already been offered his scholarship and going over, so it's it's pretty nice to know. It's, you know. Yeah. My youngest is he's not thinking about it yet, so <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. Now, listen, Derek. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you having on the show. Uh, hopefully, you know we can stay in touch, and maybe I could get you on to talk, you know, another time. Yeah, no problem. All right. Thanks a Glad lot, to be man. Honest. We'll talk to All you soon. Right. No problem, John. Thanks. Derek May, former Cubs outfielder, played from 1990 to 1999. You know, a pretty decent career. And when he first when he first came up. You know, he uh, unfortunately was playing in the shadow of a couple younger players like a Jerome Walton, you know, a Dwight Smith, who just came up and, you know, bursted on the scene in 1989. And if you get a chance to read my blog post today, I wrote about the 1989 Cubs because it's something that really interests me. There was a lot of talent on that team, and they get kind of, you know, thought of kind of kind of not even thought of at all because, you know, they didn't beat the Giants. They didn't make the World Series that year, and, of course, you know, if you remember baseball in 1989, it's known for the you know the Bay Area World Series and the earthquake and everything, and you kind of lose track of how good of a team that that Cubs team was. There was a lot of scrappy players. There wasn't really anybody, despite having three Hall of Famers on it. You know, they had Andre Dawson, they had Ryan Sandberg, they had Greg Maddox, who will be in first ballot. But for a team that had three Hall of Famers, they didn't have any absolute superstars that had superstar type seasons. And that's, you know, a guy like Derek May who comes up, you know, as a role player first couple of years, emerges on the scene in 1993. It's it's pretty interesting to see, you know, how he's able to fit in in a team like that. So, listen, thanks a lot for Derek May joining us for, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes in the top of the first hour, uh, just about the end of the first hour. Uh, listen, we're going to take a break, probably about a six, seven-minute break. We'll be back for hour number two. I got Mark Malusis calling in at 610. Julie Alexandria at 635. We'll talk to you in a little bit.